Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast. Hello, how are you? Welcome back. This is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast and I'm your host Sophie Mbogwa. Now, last week we talked about the Kinango Plateau grasslands in Kenya. The episode focused on their importance and how the land changed from a vast 70,000 hectares of land occupied by tasoki grasslands, marshes and bogs to cultivation. How this change has impacted biodiversity, among them the sharps, long crow birds that did well in Kinangop as the landscape there was conducive for their nesting. Today we focus on a youth group, Jambini Wool Crafters, started in 2004 to encourage Kinangop farmers to engage more in sheep farming in their efforts to conserve the grassland and the sharps, long crow birds. To learn more about the Kinango Plateau, please listen to our previous episode on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, our website www.africaclimateconversations and every other podcast channel. Let the wheel do the work. Reads a sign on the wall at the Jambini Woolcrafters in Jambini, Kinangop, Kenya. The workshop is about an hour and a half drive from Kenya's capital center in Nairobi at the foot of the Abadea Mountains. It's also about an hour's drive to Lake Naivesha, a freshwater lake forming part of the Great Rift Valley and Mount Longonot, an extinct volcanic mountain rising from the flow of the Great Rift Valley. These two are critical Kenyan tourist attractions because of the diverse wildlife, birds and breathtaking views. As the wheel do the work, a group of local youths operating these machines is producing yarns made of roshi wool. The yarns are sold to curio shops, operators or woven into blankets, carpets, rugs, throw blankets, scarves, shawls and socks. I meet one of the Jambini Woolcrafters founders, Margaret Nyamburambatia. The 40-year-old mother of three grew up in Kanyawa village, Jambini, in Nyandarwa County. Nyambura tells me the workshop started in 2004 to encourage the farmers invest more in sheep, hoping to save the sharps long crow birds that were declining in numbers. The sheep population was reducing in numbers. At the same time, a bird depending on the sheep was reducing at a double rate to that of the sheep. As a group of 10 youth, we conducted research to identify how we can solve the problem. We noted the whole income reduction was a main catalyst that pushed our parents to agriculture as an alternative source of revenue, reducing the area such as for shipkeeping. Shipkeeping saw some areas left uncultivated, allowing grasses to thrive. Birds will nest in these grasses. We thought, if we bought the wool from our parents, we would inspire them to keep more sheep, retain the grassland, allowing birds to thrive. That way, tourism revenues will be sustained. Remember, during the last episode, we said the Kinango Plateau is the middle ecosystem between the Abadares and Lake Naivesha, and we said that the plateau used to be a treeless grassland with tasoki grasses, marshlands, and bogs, right? Now, the grass was a perfect nesting habitat for the sharps long crow birds. The birds were a significant tourist attraction back then when Nyambura was growing up. She says tourism thrived in Kinangop as tourists visiting Lake Naivesha also visited these farms at least thrice a week. 
The birds watching revenue not only supported the economy here but helped build schools. Nyambura and her siblings attained their education through tourism revenues. In fact, Then the birds were plenty. In fact, the birds did not fear us as they were used to living alongside people. But when cultivation started, they reduced and would hide from us. Now people had turned into enemies. By the way, before cultivation, Kinango was a land of plenty. People had food and the area was secure as no one stole from anyone. Everyone had enough for themselves and the landscape was breathtakingly beautiful. But since cultivation, people had to wait for three months to earn some money. Now stealing became rampant. You see, before and mid-60s when Kenya attained independence, livestock keeping was the primary livelihood anna in Kenango Penyandara at large, given the land was waterlogged and hence not suitable for agriculture. But by 2000, after years of land subdivision, collapse of state-owned parastotos in the 90s that supported sheep farming, tourist numbers had dwindled, and so did the revenue. By then, agriculture had become a reliable alternative source of livelihood, and the birds' habitat had started diminishing. John Getogo, the Jambini Woolcrafters manager, told me the youth group came together to encourage farmers to preserve the grasslands to conserve the sharps, longcrow birds species and help these farmers generate income through sheep rearing. Today, Jambini Woolcrafters have recruited about 24 sheep keepers in Kenangop who have registered into a cooperative. The cooperative members sell wool directly to Jambini Woolcrafters and access interest-free loans payable in installments using wool sales. This kills the intermediaries who sometimes pick the raw wool free of charge from the farmers after sharing their sheep. It was started with the aim of marketing the farmer's product, that is the wool and also the sheep itself. We buy wool at a triple price compared to those who are non-members. The price ranges at uh, 100 to 200 Kenyan shillings compared to other farmers who are not members. And also you get dividend at the end of the year. You'll find that the brokers buy at uh, about 20 shillings. For those farmers who are the members of cooperative, in case they need a loan for maybe a school fees or they want to do a project, we give them a loan, then they will pay using the wool which is shared from their sheep. Those farmers who are members, we have supported them with the improved breeds and they sell their sheep at a higher price. You'll find a sheep going at about 15,000 to 30,000. The size of the sheep has improved and also the quality of the wool has improved. Embora says Jabin Woolcrafters shear the farmers sheep once a year and provide the warmers improved breeds and minerals for the sheep. The group work with livestock farms like the Wango Ebori in Timau and the Jambini Agricultural Training Center which help in training the farmers and also providing improved sheep breeds to their members. However, to benefit from this full package, a farmer must have at least 100 sheep and above. Otherwise, those with between 50 to 100 bear the cost of buying minerals for their flock. Why provide all these incentives to livestock keepers? I asked Nyambura. For a sheep to produce enough quality wool, it must be dewormed on time. Secondly, it must be fed supplemental salt throughout which we provide to our farmers. It must be housed in a clean shed also and it hooves trimmed on time. We ensure after the six months when our shearers shear the goat, they have trimmed the hooves to ensure the sheep is not in any form of strain and has nothing restraining it from feeding as long hooves limits its movement affecting its feeding ability 
You can harvest 4 kilograms of wool from a mature goat, but a lamb often sheared at one year produces between 1.5 to 2 kilograms of wool. But at three years, the lamb should produce 4 kilograms of wool. Something members like John Gathaya, who owns 40 sheep, finds helpful. Sheep needs to be regularly dewormed, but with a huge flock, sometimes it's a huge challenge to us farmers because worm infestation on flocks is a worst nightmare, and it often happens when you least expect. Often, at that time, one might have no money. So the cooperative comes in handy with dewormers. Also, you want to avoid inbreeding within your flock as a sheepkeeper. As a cooperative member, I'm provided a ram, and this in addition to selling the wool directly to them. Gadaya is a mixed farmer. He says, as rain-fed agriculture fails, he has turned to sheep farming, which is cheaper to manage and easy to sell when a need arises compared to agriculture. Sheep are important. Whenever I need to pay school fees or sort my needs, I just sell a sheep. We just do not benefit from the wool. No, we shear and sell the wool once a year, and in between the year, you have financial needs. So I depend on the soil for survive. Sheep are marketable and easy to sell off, comparing to cows, which often takes too long to sell off, especially during these changing times. For example, look at the farms. We planted last season, but everything dried up. We are counting losses. With the recurrent drought, we will not survive depending on farming alone. Birds too are having to adapt to the new normal. Gadaya's farm is situated near a swamp. When his parents moved here, they named this village Kariaine, meaning water. He says, with drought becoming longer and recurrent, the swamp has diminished, and many water-dependent birds have migrated. This swamp has birds perennially living here, but during rainy season, many migratory birds that visit. In old days, they used to lay eggs and nest here. But as human population increased and subdivided the land, the land portions decreased, and so did the birds' number decrease. The space and vegetation the birds used to hide and nest is no longer here, making it hard for them to reproduce and grow in numbers. I've noted we have several that are endemic to this area. They struggle to nest. They are forced to lay eggs in open areas. Also, the weather changes has affected the bird population. As we speak, you notice there is no water on this swamp due to the prolonged drought in the area. We receive birds that live in water, and some on land, but all require drinking water. So many birds have been forced to move because they have no water to drink. The Jamila Woolcrafters are affiliated with the Friends of Kinango Plateau, a community-based organization formed in 1997 by bird watchers to conserve the Kinango Plateau grasslands. Samuel Bakari is an ecologist to the Friends of Kinango Plateau. He told me that in 2000, BirdLife International records showed that there were between 10 to 20,000 mature Sharps longcrow birds in Kenya. Today, over 20 years later, Bakari says this number has reduced to less than 2,000 individuals. The decline is not only in Kinango but also in the west of Rift Valley in Molo grasslands. With land privately owned in Kenangop, what are the significant challenges convincing these community members to endorse the Sheep's for Birds initiative? I pose this question to Bakari. Land holding and change of land use, because the Sharp Longcrow wants an area that is expansive in terms of grass open, but this land holding has continuously. So, on average, what my grandfather would have then is maybe 50 acres. What my father would have is maybe 10 acres, but now. 
I would perhaps get maybe two acres from my father. I want to have my house there, my crop run there, a small woodlot. I'm describing what happens. Still, there is some areas that where the land holding is still big, but then conversion of land from the traditional livestock grazing, which would allow for pasture. And these pastures are also the same habitat for the sharp long crop to now uh, crop production and exotic woodrows. Bakari says one of the significant successes the group has achieved is the change of attitude towards the birds in Kinango. What else have the Friends of Kinango committed in their efforts to protect the sharps now and in the future? So far we have managed to acquire four nature reserves together with the Nature Kenya, who is our technical partner. And this model is very very successful it's a little bit more expensive but it's long term this is one of the areas that we are looking at in the future to expand and then also maximize the management of grasslands with the farmers that we are working with so we're looking at the market opportunity maximize the value the farmer can get from the wool meat as well to make sure that the farmer feels that yes this model of sheep grazing is helping me Back to the workshop, Samuel Kuria, a 30-year-old father of three, is busily cutting the wool they have bought from the livestock keepers like Gadaya. Since 2010, he has earned a living from cutting, spinning, and weaving wool. The wool is carded or combed to untangle the wood fibers and align them in one direction. This makes it easier to spin the wool smoothly. Then, the wool fibers are washed and dyed, depending on the customer's color preference, after which they are spun and graded. Now, spinning is where the wool fibers are twisted to form yarns from the carded fibers. Now, weekly, Kuria says the group produces a minimum of 50 kilograms of yarn. However, given much of the process is done manually, the weather plays a significant role here. We are very keen on the weather changes because our work is highly affected by the weather. Yarns must be washed and some are dyed, for example. The white ones must be, depending on customer color preference. So, after washing and applying the dye, the yarns, they must be completely dry as you can't weave, say, a carpet using wet yarns. During sunny days, it takes about two days to dry the yarns, but during the cold season, sometimes it drizzles in the afternoon, or it's mostly foggy most of the day, so it takes longer to dry. So, you have to wait until there's enough sunshine. So, we prepare the yarns early during the sunny season as you wait for orders. But markets have been a big challenge for the team that relies on curio shops frequented by tourists to sell their produce, as Teresia Wangoi, one of the spinners, tells me. Lack of available markets to sell our products is one major challenge. Sometimes we produce products but they take too long to move. Say for example, we made blankets but they take too long to move despite having acquired a new skill. We miss on a chance to perfect the skill also without a market. It means you cannot work toward the month. We have some very low seasons. Another challenge is resulting from our spinning machine, which is now getting old and slowing our work. If our markets open up in such a way that I can make, say for example, a carpet and it moves in a way that we're producing regularly, we have the ability, the workforce, the raw materials and the equipment we need to produce regularly. Despite the challenge, the 24 shipkeepers in Kinangop working with the Jambini wool crafters cumulatively hold 2,000 acres of land, supporting about 100 sharps long crow birds. 
something that gives Korea incentives to not only keep spinning, but someday introduce his children to conserve these birds. When I was starting, it was just a job, but over the years I've realized it comes with additional knowledge many do not know. I've learned more about conservation of the Sharps longclaw birds. It's a job I would love for my children to learn too, even if they do not practice their wool weaving, but they learn about conservation. I've learned that free-range ships feed in areas we do not cultivate. These areas are often left bare. A certain type of hard grasses grow in these areas. These are insects and worms found in these grasses and in ships too that these birds feed on. Also, the grasses help the bird hide and nest. So if we no longer keep sheep, these areas will shrink and so will be sharps, longclaw birds. So I'm not the only one benefiting from the wool or the sheep keeping, but also the birds. With 2021 to 2030 being the UN decade on ecosystem restoration aimed to prevent, halt and reverse the degradation of ecosystem on every continent and in every ocean, Bakari calls upon all conservationists to be conscious of the results of their efforts. We must let people know that conservation is broad. It's not just planting trees. It's changing our behaviors. It's restoring the ecosystems in the way they were, looking at the history, what was here, what should be here. And also, our children, how do we put our schools more informed in the correct way about conservation, about reducing their footprints, about using the minimum one can be able to use. One, there are global commitments to plant so many number of trees. Kenya, there is commitment to plant 5 billion trees. This is the AFRI 100. And the president and the government has also committed to plant 5 billion trees. And this must also be looked at into how do we make sure that we match species and sight. So that we don't find ourselves again. Yes, we have the 5 billion trees, but it's all eucalyptus that we have to uproot to sort of safeguard our springs. We must actively question all the angles of restoration and conservation to make sure that, yes, our people are well informed. Any organizations who are driving conservation, government, everybody, we are discussing and agreeing, yes, this is the correct thing to do in Kinangop, this is the correct thing to do in Ivasha, this is the correct thing to do. Let's say Samburu, which is dry. And that's all we had for you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Now, we are making our website a podcast-friendly website where you can easily access many other episodes we have produced over the years and the preferred links to listen to the Africa Climate Conversation podcast using your select channels. Now, the team and I are super excited about this development and can't wait to share it with you later this week. So please do check it out. Until the next episode, please stay connected with us on Twitter, Instagram, and also find me on LinkedIn. So Kwaheri for now, my name is Sophie Mbogwa. Africa Climate Conversations.